I'm going to invite you now, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the passage that was just read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. As you're turning there, I just want to underscore uh, something that Darcy mentioned in the announcements about summer camps. It's interesting that registration opened on Thursday at noon, and within 20 minutes, there were over 200 people who had uh, submitted their registrations. By Friday, the next morning, uh, around mid-morning, somewhere in the area of 468. So we only have about 500 plus slots. So uh, what Darcy said is is very, very important that you register as soon as you possibly can. But isn't that an amazing thing that happened? I mean, there are a lot of kids out there who are spreading the news about our summer camps and they want to be involved this summer. So it's something we really should be praying about because these, these kids are going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ this summer. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a joy for me to open my Bible with you this morning to this passage beginning at verse 6. This is a passage that um, I had some difficulty with for a number of years after I came to know the Lord. I was puzzled by some of the things that were said here. And it almost seemed as though the Apostle Paul was, was conveying some kind of an ultra-spiritual, esoteric, spiritual experience that some people can have. And I say that because of phrases like, the Spirit searches the deep things, even the deep things of God. And it sounds so heavy. And you wonder what he's really getting at. And so I had some difficulty with this passage. I am convinced now, after studying this passage many times, that what this passage is about is about the Holy Spirit producing an understanding in people's minds and hearts about the message of the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but without the Holy Spirit's work in an individual's heart so that that person can understand the message of the cross, they will never turn to Christ. It must be a deep work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul alludes to that at the end, at the end of the first, chap- first uh, paragraph of chapter 2 in verse 5, where he conveys this fact that he... He, he wanted his preaching to not be with wise and persuasive words, human words, human wisdom, the words of wisdom that the Corinthians were all caught up in from the sayings of the philosophers. Paul says, I, I didn't want my communication of the gospel uh, to be with those words. I wanted my communication to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So, as he says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So, Paul talks about his priority there. And he's still focused now on this message of wisdom, that is, the message of the cross, God's wisdom that the Messiah would be crucified in order to achieve the salvation of human beings. So, Paul's continuing with that thought. That's where we were a couple of weeks back. And we're going to see that in verse 6, there's a continuation of this. But he contrasts a number of things. And the first thing he does is he talks about those who receive God's wisdom and those who don't. Secondly, he talks about the spirit of God and the spirit of this world or the spirit of this age. 
And finally, he talks about the man without the spirit or the natural person with the spiritual person, that is the person who has the Holy Spirit. So let's look first of all this morning at those who receive God's wisdom and those who do not. Look at what he says, verse six. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Now, Paul is not saying here that he's gravitating away from the gospel message. Rather, he's saying that the gospel message is a message of wisdom. But it's among, he says here, the mature. Notice that. So he's still focused on the message of the cross, but not the wisdom of this age. We know that the message of the cross for individuals who do not have the Holy Spirit, that message is considered as nonsense. If you go back in the end of chapter 1, people consider it as weakness. They consider it as a foolish message. But to those of us who have been called by God into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus Christ and him crucified, that this is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Paul's purpose here is he, he wants to unpack why people don't understand the wisdom of God, why people do not understand the message of the cross. Don't we have conversations about this often? Andrea and I were in the Lezebnik's home on Friday night, and, and our conversation drifted in this direction as to why is it that people we love so much family and, and friends and people we work with on a daily basis that they really don't understand the message of the cross. Having believed in the gospel, having received the gift of eternal life, having tasted that the Lord is good, we wonder why does this person who I love so much, who I've shared with over and over and over again, and they don't get it. Why won't my friends accept this? And Paul answers here in these verses. And he contrasts those who receive God's wisdom with those who do not. And notice what he says in verse 6. We speak a wisdom from God among who? The mature, he says. The mature. Now, on the surface of things, as we, as we see that word, we immediately think, oh, he's talking now about Christians who are very, very mature in their faith. They've had significant spiritual growth throughout their life. They're like the, the elders of the church. They're the, they're, they're the ones who, who know the deep things of God's faith. But friends, that's not how he uses the word here. He will talk about mature Christians in chapter 3, but here he's using the word mature almost in a sarcastic sense. Because you see, this is the word that the Corinthians used. You see, they believed that because they were all caught up in the philosophies and the wisdom of this world and listening to this speaker and that speaker and developing this worldview and this, this, this philosophy of life, that they were the mature. And Paul turns the whole thing around. He says, no, you're not mature at all. The mature are those who have believed the message of the gospel. The mature are those who cherish the message of the cross. And the immature are those who reject the message of the cross. 
So this was a word that the Corinthians loved and used, and they applied it to themselves. You see, they thought that the gospel message, the message of the cross, what they would call the ABCs of the Christian life were simply that, just the ABCs. As though there was, there, there was some deeper spiritual knowledge beyond the gospel. We need deeper stuff, is how they would often think. And so they called themselves the mature. But according to Paul, if we believe the message of the cross, then we are the mature. Because the mature see in a way that the immature do not. They see the incredible wisdom of God in the message of the cross. So Paul's point here is very, very clear. That the message of wisdom that we have believed, the message of God's wisdom in Christ, it is not the wisdom of this age, of this world. And it means then that you and I do not belong to this age. Look at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Did you hear what I just said a a moment ago? If you're a believer in Jesus, you do not belong to this age. We belong to the age to come. We do not belong to this age. We live in this age. We we work in this age. We rub shoulders every day with people who are a part of this age. But we do not belong to this age. And notice again what he says in verse verse 6. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Coming to nothing. What's he saying? He's saying that that the so-called wisdoms that are out there in our world today, the so-called philosophies of life and, and worldviews that people have that are contrary to what God says, that all of these things have no eternal value whatsoever. Even the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. It is nothing more than a dead end. Which underscores what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. That the way of the wicked, not just the wicked, but the way of the wicked will perish. Will perish. Look again at verse 6. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Now, when we see the phrase rulers of this age immediately, it's found also in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, that is, this message of wisdom from God. For if they had, they would not not have crucified the Lord of glory. So immediately we're thinking of men like Herod and Caiaphas who, who, who took, handed Jesus over to Pontius Pilate and Pilate who gave the green light to crucify Jesus. That they're the rulers of this age. But it's, it's more than just the political elites. The rulers are also those who who shape the thinking of the world, who create the values and the worldviews 
of this world. So go back to verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? The intellectual elites, so to speak. Now look at verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. The rulers of this age are the people of noble birth. They're the people who have influence in the world. They're the, they're the people who shape the thinking of this world. They are the rulers. And Paul says that they are the best that the world offers. But they all oppose the message of the cross. Now, why is, why is Paul emphasizing this? Because the, the Corinthian believers, they're all enamored with these rulers of this age. They think they're like, wow, they're right up there. And Paul is saying, they will come to nothing. Why are you siding with them? Why are you buying into all the things that the world says and all the people who say what the world says? Why, why are you following them? Why, why are you enamored with the wisdom that they espouse? Why are you so caught up with the philosophies that they propagate? Because they and their philosophies have no ultimate value. They come to nothing, he says. They will pass away. Verse 7. No, no. We speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The rulers of this world, they don't speak that message. But this is the message that we speak. The wisdom of God, the message of the cross I want you to notice that there are three things here that he says about God's wisdom found in the message of the cross. First of all, he says in verse 7 that it is a secret wisdom. See that? We speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden. Now, immediately we are puzzled because, because how was this message hidden? We know that, that the Old Testament writings prophesied about Christ. The Old Testament writings revealed Christ. The Old Testament writings actually spoke of the cross, even though the cross wasn't used. Read Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our sins. So there is a sense in which the Old Testament had, had already revealed all of this and it wasn't hidden from anybody. But for some it is hidden. I think the point of the Apostle Paul is this, that, that, that Paul himself, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a radical Pharisee. He was like the Jew of the Jews. Did Paul, as a Pharisee, did he believe in the Old Testament writings? Yes. A hundred percent. a matter of fact, he was going after Jesus and the followers of Jesus because he believed that they believed in a false Messiah, in a pretend Messiah. 
It never occurred to the Apostle Paul, in spite of all his knowledge that he had received from the Old Testament writings, that the Christ of God would be crucified. It never entered his mind. It was the furthest from his thinking. In other words, his belief in the Old Testament writings did not lead him to the conclusion that the Messiah would be crucified until he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that changed everything. When God's light broke in upon his darkened mind, upon his blind eyes, he saw everything completely different. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it dawned on Paul that Jesus is the Messiah of God and that he was crucified. And then he began to read the Old Testament with new eyes. With new eyes. And he began to see things in the writings that were hidden from natural eyes. Things in the Old Testament writings that could not be discerned by pure intellectual energy. Isn't this exactly what happened after Jesus had risen from the dead? You remember in, uh, Luke records it in chapter 24 of his, of his gospel that, that Jesus had risen from the grave and uh, two of the disciples of Jesus were despondent. They were sad. They were discouraged. Their Messiah had died. They're, they're on this road leading back to the small town of Emmaus coming from Jeru- Jerusalem. They are despondent to the core. And Jesus comes alongside of them and they don't recognize him at first and and he listens to what they have to say and then he opens the scriptures to them. He says to them, you are so foolish of heart. Notice that, foolish of heart. Not just the mind. Foolish of heart and slow to believe all that the prophets have written. And then beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he clarified to them them, the things concerning himself. He pointed out to them that Messiah had to suffer. And Luke tells us that he opened their eyes that they could understand. This message of wisdom, this message of the cross is God's secret wisdom. And it was hidden, as it were, until Christ was crucified. Secondly, this wisdom, he says in verse 7 was God's plan before time. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The message of wisdom, the message of the cross, that the Messiah would suffer for the sins of the world and so reconcile us to a holy God from whom we are separated because of our sin that that message was conceived in the mind and the heart of God before time. Now, what does that mean then? Well, that means it is total foolishness for the Corinthians or for us to be enamored with with the esteemed authorities of our culture today that do not know God. All of the celebrities and what they think that we get so caught up in. The pundits and the personalities and the political elites. Don Carson says, we become infatuated with the changing fads and fancies 
of cross-denying opinion makers who belong to an age that is passing away. And the tragedy of this and the irony of it. Look, look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. They didn't understand this wisdom from God, this message of the cross. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you see the irony that is here? These rulers who reject the wisdom of God by having Jesus crucified actually carried out the wise plan of God. Now that is an irony. It's foolish. It, it, it's, it's not wise. It's, it, it has no value whatsoever, they say. And then they carry out what God had determined in eternity past, what he would do, his wise plan. And they crucify the Lord of glory. Remember in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested. They're finally released. They were arrested because they were preaching the, go the, go the gospel. They, they, are, they are set free at that point in time. They go back to the church. They gather the church. The church begins to pray. And in Acts 4, it says that they, they lifted up their voices to God together. And this is what they said in their prayer. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did. They did. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the rulers of this age, they did what your power and will had decreed beforehand should happen. They thought they were getting rid of a pretend Messiah. In fact, they crucified the Lord of glory. They thought they were so wise, so, so politically astute. But in fact, by their foolishness, they brought to pass God's wise plan. The plan that they dismissed as foolish. An amazing. An amazing thing. Now Paul concludes his point in verse 9 by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. This text that we often hear read at funerals. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And many of us read that verse, and on the surface of things, we think, oh, this is, this is referring to something in the future. This, this is how you and I today respond to these future glories that await us in, in heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But that's not how Paul uses this quote from Isaiah. He is simply using it in this sense. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. In other words, they don't understand. No mind has conceived. The rulers of this age, they don't get it. They don't understand what God has prepared for those who love him. The gospel, the message of the cross. But those who love him. That is, those who've been called, those who've received the Spirit, they understand what God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ, which is what he says in verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So this brings us now to the third thing that the Apostle Paul says characterizes the wisdom of the living God. That even though God 
has brought his all-wise plan to fruition in that historic event when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Even though God made that known and revealed it to the world, people still do not believe, people still do not see that this plan was the wise plan of God. But we do. We who believe do. We who are the mature, according to Paul, we see that this is the very wise plan of God. So let's get back to the conversation we often have. Why don't my friends believe? Why doesn't my family believe? I've shared with them. I've done my best to explain it to them. But still, they, they don't believe. But I believe. Well, why do you believe and they don't believe? Do you have some greater insight than them? Do you and I have something within us that somehow earns God's favor that he would help us to understand? No. We're all the same. But verse 10. But God has revealed it to us. How? By his spirit. By his spirit. Now we know that God has revealed himself in the person of Christ. The apostle John said we saw him, we, we beheld his glory, the glory of the, only one of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself said it, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In Christ, God reveals himself in the cross. The, the glory of God and the wisdom of God is seen. And so God in, in a public way, in the person of Christ and in the work of Christ on the cross, displayed his wisdom for the whole world to see. But that's not enough. It's not enough. There, there, there is a, another kind of revelation that needs to happen. It is a private revelation. But God revealed it to us by his spirit. It's a revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit into our minds and into the hearts of those whom God calls. And this private work of the Holy Spirit is not seen with a human eye, but it is experienced in human hearts. God's secret wisdom gets disclosed. God's plan of salvation is revealed. The message of the cross is understood by the Holy Spirit. So if you have seen the truth, if you have grasped the message of the cross, if you have been moved by the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and you therefore have embraced this message, then friends, you embrace the message and you embrace Christ not because you're more brilliant than those who haven't. Not because there is something in you, some inherent insight within you that makes you better than them. No, he has revealed it to you. By the Holy Spirit. Listen, the gift of God's Spirit enables us to grasp the gospel of God's Son. The gift of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, enables us to grasp the gospel 
of God's son. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and he turns to his disciples at that point, and he says, who do people say I am? Jesus wanted to know, what, what is the perspective of people out there? What, what, who do they think I am? Who do they say I am? And, and they answer, well, well, some say you're John the baptizer, some say you're Elijah the prophet, or, or one of the other prophets. They hadn't quite got it yet, had they? Their perspective was a little skewed, but that's what the disciples conveyed to Jesus. And then Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? I'm not concerned so much about the opinions of people outside. I want to know about you. And you remember Peter answers. He speaks up. He's the spokesman of the 12. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you remember what Jesus said then? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You're blessed. But then he adds, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't get this because of your superior thinking. You didn't get this because you have an intellect that is greater than other people. No, it was my Father in heaven through the Holy Spirit who revealed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Listen, friends, we need a help that is outside of ourselves in order for us to receive the message of the cross. Now, this leads us into the second con contrast that we find in this passage. It's a contrast between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. I think you guys have jumped ahead to point three. Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. Look at chapter 2, the second part of verse 10. The Spirit searches... All things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows his, the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world. There it is, spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God. Now, why is this outside help needed? This outside help is needed. Because we are so infected with the spirit of this world that we have been disabled in ourselves to see and to understand these great truths. The problem is that you and I are so rebellious in our nature. We so distort information that God gives about himself. We are so deeply infected with the spirit of this world. And we so heavily rely on human wisdom. And therefore, we belong to the spirit of this world. And we don't get it. Paul's point is the possibility of knowing God and understanding his ways doesn't belong to any human being. The distance between us and God is too great. Our self-centeredness is too deep. Now, there are other passages in God's Word which, which speak about this dilemma and describe it in different ways. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you and I are dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. 
How do the dead respond to a message about the cross? How do the dead respond to any message? They can't respond because they're dead. In another passage, the Bible speaks of us being blinded. Do you remember when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. He was, he was, he was one of the greatest teachers that Israel had ever had. And, and Jesus starts speaking to him about being born again. About being born of the Spirit. And he says to him, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. Of course not. Why? Because what Jesus said is true. Unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It, it, it goes over his head. He, he can't fathom it. He can't understand it. And here in these verses... We read here that we cannot understand because we've been infected by the spirit of this world. And the spirit of this world always leads people to conclude that the message of the cross is foolishness. So what people need is this revelation from God. Now notice how he describes it in verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Now he's using an illustration here. But let me try to illustrate what he's illustrating. Can I do that? Uh, I know my wife, Andrea, better than anyone in this room. I, I know her through and through. Um, I've been married to her for 42 years, right? <laughs> 43. How many? 45 this summer. <laughs> now, if we had a dog in a doghouse, I'd be in the doghouse tonight. <laughs> the point I'm making is that I know Andrea better than anyone else, but I do not know my wife's total thoughts. Who knows her thoughts? Well, God, of course. But her spirit within her knows all her thoughts. Conversely, she knows me better than anyone else. But she does not know my thoughts. And I know that because she often says to me, what were you thinking? <laughs> now putting all joking aside, the point is clear. The only entity, the only being as it were, that understands your thoughts is your spirit within you. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit now. I'm talking your body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit within you knows everything, knows what you think. And the thoughts of another individual are closed to you. So, then he adds in verse 11, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of this world, verse 12, but the Spirit who is from God. Now why? Why? Why has God given us the Holy Spirit? Look at the last line of verse 12. That we may understand what God has freely given us. There it is. I understand it. I get it. 
I get what God in his grace has freely given to me. But how do I get it? Because the Holy Spirit has revealed that to me. It is all by God's amazing grace. The cross has achieved our salvation. The salvation of God's people. The cross displays the wisdom of God. But because we are so infected by the spirit of this world, we would never grasp this or experience the meaning of it without the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. We need this private revelation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our lostness was so great that we needed the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says then in verse 13, this is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words or to spiritual men or spiritual people. It makes sense to us now because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us of this. Now this brings us to the final con contrast that Paul brings out in this passage. And the contrast is between the person who does not have the Spirit and the person who does. Some translations will refer to the person without the Spirit as the natural person and the person with the Spirit as the spiritual person. So let's go with those words, the natural person and the spiritual person. Look at what he says in verse 14. The man without the spirit, the natural man, the natural person, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So he says two things here. The natural person who does not have the Holy Spirit, first of all, he, he cannot, he cannot, she cannot accept the things that comes from the Spirit. Why? Their foolishness. Now, who embraces what is foolish unless you're a fool? If you really think that something is foolish, you're not going to put your life on it. You're not going to give yourself over to it. So if you think the message of the cross is foolishness, then in your mind you're thinking, I'd be a fool to embrace it. It's foolishness. In other words, these, these wonderful, life-transforming and redeeming things that come from the Holy Spirit, we dismiss them. The natural person dismisses them. Secondly, he says, they do not accept or understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually understood. Now the focus here is on, is on the total inability of human beings to understand these truths. Now in the first message of this series, I mentioned to you uh, my experience. Do you remember I told you about this little red Bible that I had received? I wanted to bring it up here today as well. I received a little red Bible from the Earls Court United Church Sunday School. And uh, I remember in the months leading up to my coming to faith in Christ, I went down into the rec room of our home, and there was a bookshelf there, and I saw it there. It was right by the phone. I was making a phone, a phone call to someone at that time, and I saw that Bible there, and I pulled the Bible out, and I looked at it, and I began to cry. 
Because in my heart, I knew that it was true, but I actually tried to read it. And I opened it up and started to read it, and it didn't make any sense to me at all. I was moved emotionally by it. I knew it was a special book, but I didn't understand it. And then when I was hitchhiking, a man pick, picked me up on the road, and he shoved these gospel tracts into my pockets, and I, I, took, I took them home, and I put them beside my bed, and almost every night for at least a week, I tried to read them, and I could only get so far. It just didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. Why? Because the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And if someone does not have the Holy Spirit... They cannot understand them. But what a difference when Christ came into my life and I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. My, my, my dead spirit was regenerated. I was born again. I was made alive. I was no longer a natural person infected by the spirit of the world. I was now a spiritual person indwelt by the Holy Spirit and everything changed. Now I understood what has been freely given to me in Christ. Now the cross made sense and I could finally see. And for me, all of this is captured in a hymn that I learned shortly after I came to faith in Christ, an old hymn which, to my knowledge, we have never sung at West Highland in the 15 years that I have been here. But the song goes like this. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know, spirit breathing from above, you have taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine in a love which cannot cease. I am his. And he is mine. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his. And he is mine. Hallelujah. We cannot see, we cannot fathom these things unless the Spirit breathes from above. And this is what it means to be a spiritual person. He opens up to us degrees of understanding about himself that we, without the Spirit, will forever be closed to us. And Paul hints at this in the, fifth, the 15th verse when he says, the spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. In essence, what Paul is saying here is that the spiritual person is able to judge all things. In other words, he has discernment. He has insight into things. Because why? Because the spiritual person has once been a natural person and now has the Holy Spirit. And so a greater insight is given. But the person without the Spirit cannot assess these things in the spiritual realm any more than a person who is colorblind can judge the distinctive hues of a sunset or 
a rainbow. And so how does, how does what Paul is saying here tie in with the concern that he had for the Corinthian believe, believers and in their, their passionate pursuit for the wisdom of the world? Again, Paul is simply saying that the rulers of this age, the, the philosophers, the scholars, the rulers, the worldview propagators that you listen to, foolishness. It's foolishness to be consumed with what they say. It's foolishness to be enamored by what they spout out. It is vanity for us to make them our heroes, to admire the stars and the celeb celebrities of this age, to live for their applause. And so Paul closes what he says here with a quotation in verse 16 from Isaiah chapter 40. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him. We think we can instruct God. The natural person thinks, I got some wisdom here that God doesn't have. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But then he adds, last line, but we, that is believers. What do we have? We have the mind of Christ. Simply another way of saying that we have received the Holy Spirit. And this sets us apart from the world. Now in about three minutes, I want to share with you very, very fast three important things, take, takeaways from this passage. And then I'd like to share with you uh, a personal observation as being pastor here for 15 years. Number one, being spiritual is closely linked to the cross. Now, we live in a day and age in which people identify themselves as spiritual. You know, people will say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. That's not how the Bible uses the word. When people say they are spiritual and they have no belief in the cross, no understanding of the cross, they're just natural. That's all. Natural with the mask of being spiritual. The spiritual person rejects the message of the world and embraces God's secret wisdom in the cross. True spirituality is always linked to the cross. So let me take this a step further. Whenever you meet a, Christ, a Christian who's all wrapped up, all about, oh, oh, my experiences with the Holy Spirit, and all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. And they never link the Spirit to the cross. They are not spiritual. They're trying to produce a certain so-called Christian-looking super-spirituality. But if it's not linked to the cross, it's not spirituality at all. Number two, the Spirit moves powerfully when the message of the cross is preeminent in the church. Wherever and whenever the Holy Spirit moves in power to change people's lives, I can assure you that move of the Spirit is always preceded by a powerful preaching of the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, which calls people to repentance and belief in Him. And this is why the message of the cross, the gospel of the cross, must be central in everything that we do here as a church 
and in all of the ministries we have. And then number three, just to underscore what has already been said, the message of the cross cannot be truly understood without the work of the Spirit. And that is why we as Christians need to be in prayer. Our witness needs to be bathed in prayer. Our, our sharing of Christ with others needs to be bathed in prayer. Prayer for them. Praying how? That God, the Holy Spirit, will open their eyes and reveal the truth to them. Now let me make an observation from 15 years here at West Highland. Sometimes we are guilty of making an assumption that people who are here regularly and show interest in spiritual things that they have received the Spirit. Let me illustrate this. Andrea and I were here about a year and um, we met with a couple who had been coming to Joy Fellowship for a number of years. Their names were Bill and Elsie Deersley. And we started to talk to them and we asked them about their faith and it became clear to us in a conversation that they had been here for years and everyone in Joy Fellowship, sorry, I'm not taking a shot at Joy Fellowship if you're a part of that. It's a great ministry in our church. But everyone in Joy Fellowship just assumed that they were believers because they talked about Jesus and they, 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 they knew that Jesus died for their sins and, and they, had, they had grown up in the church. They kind of fit in with everybody. And nobody ever asked them. Nobody ever sat down with them to try to help them discern, to help discern, have you really received the Spirit? Do you really know Christ? And we shared the gospel with them that night, and, 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 and they just immediately responded. God the Holy Spirit revealed things to them. And friends, that's true of many who, who come here. There are many in this auditorium right now, and you have never received the Spirit. And we need to be aware of this. We should not confuse a person's interest in spiritual things as being regenerated by the Spirit. We should not confuse the spiritual language that a person might use and equate that with being born of the Spirit. We should never assume that knowledge that people have about God means that they actually have the Spirit. Or ever think that because someone attends here on a regular basis that they have the Holy Spirit. We must be discerning. And by God's grace, we must probe and help people, everyone, to understand the truth of Christ and the message of the cross. And in doing that, we need the help of the Spirit. Would you stand with me and let's... Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for allowing me to share from it today. I thank you, Lord, for any insight that all of us have received from this passage today. I, my prayer is that this truth about the work of the Holy Spirit will come through to every person's heart. And for those of us who've received the message of the cross, who believe it with all of our hearts, that we might understand the grace of God given to us in the gift of the Spirit so that we could believe and embrace it with all of our hearts. And I pray for any who still, as of yet, have are still infected with the spirit of this world and have not 
received or had a revelation from the Spirit that today the light will dawn on them and there will be a turning from darkness to light by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the God who lives in unapproachable light give us all light through the gospel. Amen. Thank you.